Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I'm your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace, and along with my co-host and our own partner in crime, Jack Humphrey, we are the founders of TheLeveragist.com and Divisio.com. How the heck are you, Jack? Well, that's weird. Let me see what I can do to get you unmuted. I'm having internet issues, it looks like, Jack, so bear with me. Do I have you now? I think so. I heard unmuted. Yay, there we go. So how the heck are (laughs) you? Great, getting ready for a trip to Boston. Hey, everybody, Gene McDonough is on. Hello, hello, Gene. Hello, Gene. All right, we made it. Bear with us while Jack gives you the proper introduction you deserve. All right, let's rock and roll, folks. Yes, today, everyone, we have Gene McNaughton, who is a twenty-five has twenty-five years of experience, including spending over a decade at Gateway Computers while serving multiple sales leadership roles at Gateway. Gene helped Gateway go from a small, obsolete country, country, I guess you could call it a country, (laughs) uh, company to an $11 billion international powerhouse that's widely known for having one of the most successful sales forces in history. Gene initiated the first coaching program toward reinforcing sales influence techniques and created the Gateway Solutions Team, which which focused on specialization through key strategic sales training. Gene was responsible for billions in revenue while at Gateway. Known for his sharp seven steps of selling presentation, he's developed a direct strategy that can help anyone become a sales superstar. Gene, welcome to Leverage Masters. Thank you so much for having me. I've been checking your podcast and radio shows out, and I'm highly impressed. I feel very humbled to be on this call. Well, it's all about the guests, so <laughs> all credit goes to them. <laughs> so thank you for being here. We'll start you off with the same question we give everybody. So that was your introduction, but what we always want to know is what's burning in your belly and getting you out of bed in the morning these days? What's exciting oh, you now? Oh, man. Well, obviously we, we've got the, the big book launch on July 16th coming, and you know what's really exciting about that is it's way more than just the fact that you know after a 10-year journey, I finally got a book published, but that would have been my father's 90th birthday, Monday the 16th. He just passed away last fall, so I'm going back to my hometown in Sioux City, Iowa, and we're doing a big launch there, and you know, all my, I went to college and high school and worked at Gateway there for 12 years, so friends and fam, you know, that's what's burning in my belly, connecting with my friends and family and getting to do a launch and sign books and all that stuff, and it's not really an ego situation. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for where I came from and, 
even though it's a tiny little town in the middle of Iowa or in the corner of Iowa, um, that's what's really exciting. We leave this afternoon and, you know, we'll, in our little town, we'll have TV and the news, the Sioux City Journal. And I'm really excited about that and just sharing with, you know, people that coached me when I was little and, you know, guided me through high school and college. I've invited everybody to come to this launch and I just want to give back and express my gratitude to them. That's what's more exciting than, you know, the book. Yeah. Small town boy makes big, makes good. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say well, makes good and things out into the world. And it, it doesn't come without mentors. It doesn't come. I remember my first, you know, real sales job while I was in college was selling shoes at the mall. And I sold for a place called Rudolph Shoes and Rudolph Pape, who was the owner, he came in and on my first day of tra- uh, first day of uh, being on the, in the company or on the floor, he just gave me the first sales advice. Cause you know, when you're 20 years old, you just think you talk to people and you try to talk them into buying something. And, you know, he was the first person to say, Gene, there's a technique. And he says, you got to, you got to greet them, you got to meet them, and you got to seat them. Which really, what he was saying is, is you know, welcome people into the store, go meet them and introduce yourself. And if you can get them in the chair and get the shoes on their feet and let them walk around, we sold, you know, kind of higher end shoes compared to like the Paylesses and the J.C. Pennies and stuff. And he said, but if you can get them on their feet and talk a little bit about why it makes sense to spend a little bit more for a better shoe, you're once they put them on, seventy five percent of them will buy. And that seems trivial probably to this audience. It's an advanced audience, but it reminds me that, you know, the, the expert in anything was once a beginner. And I'm not saying I'm an expert by any stretch. I'm, I'm on the path, but I'm not an expert. But, you know, just that one little insight 28 years ago, you know, re-reminds me that, you know, people selling is kind of like golf. If you watch a golfer on TV, you know, they make it look so darn easy, but you put a club in your hands and go out there and try to swing yourself and hit the ball straight, you find out it's a whole different story. So right. I'm really, really oh, man, about yeah. that. That's a yeah. good analogy. I learned most of my repertoire of cuss words from my dad, who uh, was <laughs> picking up golfing at a key moment in my life, uh, at a key year in my life, and I had never heard words um, like that until <laughs> – he started to try and golf and I was like, wow. So you really were on a boat in Korea and learned all kinds of colorful language, I guess, as a sailor. <laughs> Cause I heard it all, but yeah, golf is a, I, that's what made me never really pick up a club because I just saw it as pain and suffering from my perspective. That's all it was. <laughs> well, that, that can be sales sometimes too. It's, it's, uh, it's what, what the misnomer is that, you know, people are born good salespeople and because of, you know, really some people are born more extroverted than others. But knowing that if you're truly there to serve somebody, there is there are methodologies and science behind it. Everything from building rapport, creating trust, some of the things we've heard forever, all the way back to the Zig Ziglar and, you know, Tom Hopkins and Ogmandino days. But really realizing that, you know, my work now professionally, my consulting firm is I work with mid-size and large-size companies and teach them how to go win the, the million-dollar deals, the big ones, how to hunt them, how to keep them, and how to grow them. And that's a, those are science and technique is required to stand out. And since I've been in this field for you know, 25 years of working with mid-size and large-size accounts, 
and dealing with thousands of sellers, you know, both through training them, through consulting them, teaching them. You know, at this stage, after 100 different companies and, you know, 80 different industries, it's, I'd have to be an idiot not to see that there are consistent patterns of top performers in every country, every, you know, industry or company. You know, I like to study you know, what are the best of the best of the best doing common traits. And that's really what the book is all about. What, what are the things that I see in top performers? What are the things that I do? And I, I don't know if you read my client list, but I have some, some of the biggest companies in the world work with our little boutique consulting firm. When they have the resources, they could go spend millions of dollars on a Bain consulting or PricewaterhouseCoopers. But, you know, they, they are by and large choosing us because it's, you know, it's real world stuff. I'm not a sideline reporter that's just anecdotally expressing my views on how selling is. I'm in the game. I, I yeah. sell, you know, there's a difference. Right. Well, I, I want your expertise on, on this. I've got this running theory that I, I sometimes surfaces with other guests uh, that we bring on uh, when the opportunity arises. And that is you have to, as a consultant and, and a trainer, a teacher, you know, when you're helping people with things, you have to develop tactics. You have to develop a method for teaching them. And like Zig Ziglar wrote books and, and, and things like that. And I, I have a theory that people learn tactics, but they don't learn often how to refold those tactics into their character and their presentation and their presence as something that's a natural gift. So a lot of people recognize Ziegler and people like you who have what I would call maybe somewhat of a natural gift. And then someone asked you to, why don't you tell other people about it? Why don't you give them tactics and strategy so that they can be somewhat as good as you, you know, they could, they could also learn how to do sales and, and really succeed. And I think a lot of people get into that and it's like, well, all right, you have, now told everybody, and I think a lot of people then read that and go, it's just a checklist, and it's tactics and strategies. And then I start to get this image of people who leave it in the tactic and strategy arena coming off a lot like car salesmen and not being <laughs> genuine and not being – they don't refold the tactics back into their character and their delivery, and they're just making it natural. Can you speak to that? Is that – am I off? Or do you even You're understand fine. what I just said because it's kind of confusing? Well, first of all, like you, I'm a, I'm a consumer. I buy things. Um, I'm a little different because I, I'm pretty anal about studying what are the methodologies the seller is using. <laughs> I'm observing it like, okay, mm -hmm. is he building rapport? Has he asked me questions? Does he know exactly what I'm trying to do? Is he making suggestions? Is he teaching me versus selling me? Or she, I should say. It could be both. But you asked a, a series of questions within that. So let me just take a stab at answering them the best way. But one is, as it relates to selling, like anything, there are step-by-step um, -step techniques that when you use them, you will be more effective. And I call that the map. And the map would suggest, you know, first, you've got to have the right mindset. Are your goals set? What are you doing to self-invest? What are you doing to give yourself energy for the day to talk to people, to you know, to be that, that positive spark in their life. And I'm not saying you have to act different than your natural behavior. Some behavior. Some people are more introverted. Some people are more extroverted. But what's most importantly is what is the persona of the person that you're talking to? 
So you've got to be able to what's called match and mirror, you know, their um, energy, their posture, their speaking patterns, and so forth. But the very first step is the mental preparation of the game. Tony Robbins says, if you've attended his events, he says, you know, success is 80% psychology and 20% skill. And really what he's saying is, I mean, you can argue those percentages, but what he's saying is that most of what you do is going to have to do with mindset. So that is just making sure you're guarding your mind that, you know, like today with shows like this and and really good podcasts, there's no shortage of information from really, really good people like a Tony Robbins, like uh, Gary Keller from Keller Williams has a podcast called The One Thing That Is Outstanding. I mean, I listen to these on a regular basis, and it's not like I carve out an hour every day and just sit there at my computer or phone and listen, but, you know, I can listen while I'm driving the car. I can listen while I'm at Mm -hmm. the gym or walking the dog. I can feed my brain when I'm doing tasks that don't require, you know, huge attention. Um, So it's mindset. Second piece is you've got to build some rapport. You've got to take a moment, and if it's somebody that's coming to you is asking the right questions. But if you're going after somebody, I mean, I mean, just think about some of the resources. You've got programs like LinkedIn. You've got Google. You've got company websites. You can do enough information searching about somebody to know enough about them. If they're on LinkedIn, of which 92% of executives are, business people are, you can find out where they went to school, the jobs they've had, their career progression, charities that they're involved in. You, you might find people that you know that know them. But people, you know, the rapport is a lost art. People think it's just, you know, get there and glad hand them and pat them on the back. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. We are smart. By the way, the, us as buyers today are smarter than we've ever been. You know, I saw some mm-hmm. research, and I know this is true, that, you know, almost 60% of a purchase is already made just through self-research by probably like you and like me. If I'm going to get something that I don't know a lot about, I'm either going to talk to somebody I trust that has done what I'm trying to do. Let's say it's uh, something in my lawn or garden or something that I want to do around the house. Think of anything that you're not an expert in, but you're probably going to do a little online research in advance. You're going to look at reviews. You may talk to somebody that you know that has done what you're trying to do, but we have access to so much more research today. So the sellers have to be aware of that. And, So step one, mindset. Step two, build great rapport. Step three is the one that's missed the most, which is patiently asking questions. So many sellers can't wait to jump into um, telling people about what they have to see if they want to buy it. And, you know, that's stuff that was taught in the 70s and 80s. You know, you got to get in front and they buy or die and all this stuff that social conditioning has, you know, kind of taken – the profession of selling, you know, in a not such great uh, name or energy. But, you know, the, the best, here's what you find. The best sellers are the ones that when you end up buying something, you don't feel like anybody sold something to you. You feel like somebody taught you, educated you. And the only way you can do that as a seller is to be patient enough to ask questions. And that's what the book is all right. about. Edge, the sales edge, E-D-G-E. Um, that's in Chapter 7, but that is a, a questioning roadmap. So I mentioned earlier that there's the map. Okay, here's directionally where we're going to go. 
But you also have to understand that when you get in, when you're using the map, you're, you're eventually going to be in the territory. And that's where you've got to have sensory acuity. So in the old days when we used to use maps, and I don't know how old you are, but I certainly was of an age where we actually had a paper map and had to follow that mm-hmm. to get somewhere. And the map would tell you directionally where to go, but you might get into the territory and realize that uh, there's a road closed. You might realize that there's, um, there's detours. So you've got to be able to both follow the map and navigate the territory. That's what sales is all about. So the map says mindset, rapport, ask questions. And there's a question methodology that I teach. Very simple. It's the acronym of EDGE. The E stands for you've got to educate yourself about the client. The D stands for you've got to develop a gap. A gap meaning there is a problem they're trying to solve or something they're dissatisfied with or it's something they may want to do or are trying to do. It's a goal of theirs. It's, it's an objective, something they've been trying to do but haven't been able to do or get themselves to do it. But if there's no gap, then there's not going to be a sale. We're not going to buy something just to buy something, right, of significance that right. is. A TV, a fridge, a car, a new computer system, a stereo. You know, we're going to do some research because whatever it is we have isn't working or we've got a new situation and we want to create that. You know, for instance, I live in a, I just bought a house that has a swimming pool. So I want to get an outdoor sound system just because I like music. So I'm doing online research. I'm talking to my friends I know. And it's not because I have a problem that I'm considering buying something, but it's because I want something created that's in my mind. I don't know squat about, speaker systems other than you hit a button and you can hear music <laughs> That's about as deep as my yeah. knowledge goes, you know, brands and all, you know, I don't, you know, it's, you know, Costco versus Amazon versus the local electronics place. You know, I don't, you know, I'm going to do research. I'm going to look at reviews just like you would do. So we got to just acknowledge this. So first the seller has to educate themselves on the client. What are they trying to do? What are they doing now? Um, who's going to be, you know, partake. Do you have kids? How many? What are their names? Just you've got to take time to understand the person. Secondly, you develop a gap. What are they trying to do that they're not getting done, or what are the problems they're trying to solve? The G and Edge stands for what's called a greater gap. Now, this is a technique I learned from uh, a language pattern training program I went to called Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is the technical term is mm-hmm. called future pacing people. Let's imagine that your stereo system is in place. It's playing the music. And, you know, what would you be listening to in your ideal state? Oh, I'd be listening to the Little River Band. Um, that'll tell you a little bit about my age, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> little River Band. And, you know, with, you know, so kind of helping me get into the position of not whether I'm going to get it, but what's it going to feel like after I am enjoying the benefits of it? Or... I could say, you know, let's look six months out and say that you've identified that there's a problem that you have that you're trying to solve. What's going to mean six months if you don't have this solved? What's going to be the hassle? What's going to be the inconvenience? Could the problem get worse? So the greater gap is a simple future pace. And it's a question that's not if you're going to make the purchase, but whether you buy from me, and here's what I'll say, whether you buy from me or you don't buy from me, it's 12 months from now, and you're majorly successful. What does that look like? And I can cause people to start imagining in their brain, you know, what would that be like? What would it look like? What would it feel like? And the last E in the edge questioning process 
is not necessarily a question, but it's, it's creating an emotional connection. And this is so pivotal. Oftentimes when we're talking to a seller, we may not ask this question as a buyer, but what we're wondering is who else like me has done this, what the seller is suggesting, and gotten the desired result. So this, you're seeing more and more noise about this, and it's so true, is that you've got to be ready to explain uh, like a case study or a story of somebody else that's similar to them that was looking at all the options. They chose that seller and that seller's company. Talk about what you did for them, the benefits they received, and if you've got a testimonial or something like that, you know, this isn't brand new, but it's just how it's looked at is relatively new. Here's why. There's tremendous research and science, and we all, everybody listening to this right now, we all grew up learning by story from our parents, our grandparents, Disney movies, Pixar, storybooks. We've all grown up learning through stories. We are socially conditioned. It doesn't matter what country or what culture you're in. Everybody's initial learnings are through story. So being an eloquent storyteller is very, very important, and here's why. This is what allows you to pitch your what, whatever it is you do. It allows you to describe um, through story the benefits of whatever your service, whatever your product is, without overtly doing it. Whereas most sellers, yeah. as soon as you get in a conversation, they'll start saying, well, let me tell you about what we do. Let me show you. Let me get this in your hands. And they haven't even done their, you know, their legwork. And you know, if you go through those, just those first patterns, you, you, which is you know, you're prepared, you build great rapport, you ask questions in the right order, a bulk of your sale is already completed. Because most sellers, you know, and the other thing I find, by the way, and I probably – worked with or interviewed more than, you know, 10,000, probably way more than 10,000 sellers. I mean, I've been doing this for 26 years is I've yet to find one seller that has a clear, complete system, you know, methodology they follow when they sell where they can recite the six steps or the seven steps of the process. I find that every seller I work with, and this is probably a lot of your audience and I'm not being judgmental, but this is just pure observation from somebody that's been in the same field for a long time most sellers are just using skills that they've just picked up along the way. You know, you learn something Agreed. here, you learn something there, and now they've kind of got their quote-unquote, you know, secret sauce of how they sell. But rarely does somebody say it's, okay, it's mindset, it's rapport, it's questions, it's presenting, it's asking for the business, it's being prepared to ask for, to handle objections, it's being prepared to follow up if they don't say yes. And if they do say yes, it's having a rock-solid referral generation program. Very few people can even recite that. And, and that is the reality. Yeah. But one, once you've done the EDGE process, you've followed the map, right? And sometimes in the territory, of somebody may say, well, wait a minute, I just want to know what the price is, or I just want to – you've got to be able to be adaptable. So there's the map and the territory. But after you understand what you need to understand, then it's time for you to talk about to make a recommendation of whatever it is you think is in their best interest. And that's what it really boils down to is what is in their best interest to help them solve that problem or achieve the desired result. If you understand now, them and you ask the right question, I mean, isn't that how you want to buy? Absolutely. And so I find myself yeah. buying before I realize I'm actually buying something like, 
before I realized how far along the process I am and how long ago I made the decision already to buy. <laughs> and I'm just now realizing it. Well, I love getting caught up in those experiences because it's a great from a consumer standpoint, but it's also as a student of this, um, really satisfying to have been handled the right way. Like it was a magical experience. It was a great experience. I'd buy from these guys again, all those testimonials that you give them in your head or actually, uh, I love that experience because it's almost an art and it feels like something artfully um, has been done <laughs> and well, and it's rare. It's really, really rare. That's why you guys like you have to keep writing books and keep teaching people because for me, it's always been partially patience and discipline in my sales journey, uh, having the patience to follow a plan, to stick to it and not get too excited about the outcome for you if you make the sale and also, uh, and then jumping ahead or, or pushing them along too fast or skipping steps completely and, uh, and the discipline to just follow it. I, I think for me, that's the difference between when I've done well and when I have not the most in, in sales. That's a good point. And it's sometimes really hard for a personality type like me to stick to the plan. It always works, and I know it does, but I get ahead of myself, and I think maybe a lot of people fight that. Well, it's because we're excited. Right. And it's there's a, a whole section in the book about what's called intent versus instinct. So we have intent to build rapport. We have intent to uh, get to decision makers. We have an intent to ask questions. We have an intent to um, close, close the sale. But oftentimes instincts take over. It's like the Pavlov dog, like. We have an intent to, yes, we're going to build rapport, and the next thing you know, that seller's already talking about their products without building rapport and asking questions. So it's just a, it's the dichotomy of intent versus instinct. And I put that in there just, just so people – there's just a recognition so that people can have some level of self-awareness. But I, I'll give you a great example of a buying experience. And it was Christmas this year or six, seven months ago. And – my son is eight years old, and I was going to buy him a video game console. Now, in my day, um, we didn't have a lot of choices. You had Atari. <laughs> you, that's all you got, right? Now, there's, yeah. I don't know if you've looked, but you go to a Best Buy, and there's six, seven different consoles and cartridges, and it's just nutsoid. Um but I just said, I go to the guy and said, look, I don't know much about these. And he said, um, now I was waiting for him to start, you know, picking out the one that he's getting the biggest spiff on and tell me why I need to buy it. And he goes, well, you know, it'll probably help if I just ask you some questions. I said, oh, okay, go for it. How old's your son? What kind of games does he play? How long do you want him on the system? Is he going to do anything online? I mean, he, he had a laundry list of questions. And then he said, you know, based on what you told me, three, and it was like PlayStation versus Xbox versus um, I don't know Nintendo or whatever it was, and then he he went on to describe you know the 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 good and the bad based on my scenario for each one, and I said well what do you think right you're the expert you're doing this all day long I don't know one from the other and he said well based on everything he kept saying this based on everything you've told me um, I mm -hmm. think this one's going to work because he's going to be able to grow with the game he can use it uh, the console he can use it for four or five years. And I said, done. You know, I didn't have time to, you know, it's Christmas. You know how it is when you're like, okay, I just got to get this thing done. Yeah. 
And I got to the register and I said, um, you did a really good job. It's one of the first experiences where somebody, I didn't feel pushed. I didn't feel pressured. I felt like you really wanted me to get what was best for me and you educated me. And he goes, yeah, that's how we're trained. And I went, wow, that's great. And I said, what kind of commission do you make off this? And he goes, oh, we don't make commission. He goes, we're here to be teachers. And I got to tell you, not only was I, <clears throat> was I impressed by that experience, I was impressed by Best Buy. You know, here's a company that yeah. gets it. They put their people on the floor. They tell their people, and who knows what they actually say, but my interpretation is they say, we're not here to pressure people into buying. Nobody wants to be pressured. But if we teach and we give a great experience, they'll buy. Now, if you think about this age of the big brick-and-mortar companies from the blockbusters to the Toys R Us that are going out of business, you know, I, in my interpretation is, one, they're, they're not looking at what their leverage points are. Their leverage points are the customer experience because I could have got those video game consoles from Amazon and had them shipped with Prime right. in, in two days, but I would have had to read a bunch of stuff. I would have had to educate myself, and there's a bigger chance I would have made the wrong decision. But I, I still go into Best Buy, and I still ask the questions – and buy things, even if they're a little bit more expensive. And I buy things there because I know the quality of experience I'm going to get. You know, where Toys R Us dropped the ball is they tried to become Walmart and Amazon. You know, they tried to be just the cheap toy provider, right. which, you know, with all the overhead drove them out of business versus making it a fun experience level environment where the kids love to go and the parents love to go. You know, it's, it's just an interesting transition of the world that we're in. But, yeah, so back to the yeah. process. It's, it's not rocket science. But, you know, when I was early in my days at Gateway, I had one benefit, and I don't know how and why this came to me, but I, I realized at a earlier age that um, I didn't have to try to figure everything out. My dad taught me this. He said, if there's, you know, if there's something you want to do, there's really good odds that somebody's written a book about it. And he said, go read their book. And one of the first books he gave me when I was 16 was a book written by, remember Joe Namath, the New York Jets football, football mm-hmm. player that won the Super no, Bowl? No, I'm too young to remember Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, don't I know do. How old you are, so I'm dating myself. <laughs> where, where he kinda, he, and, and it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a big book. And I got a book by, about Joe Namath and Dr. J. And I read them, and they uh-huh. were talking about, the importance of practice and the importance of, you know, um, pregame uh, um, uh, preparation. They talked about, you know, certain methodologies and techniques they use on how they shoot or throw or whatever it was. And, you know, just, just hearing their words, and certainly they didn't write it, but they probably spoke it, I started going, wow, I, I don't have to, you know, go out and just do what I think is right um, because I'm – you know, I'm a novice at whatever, whatever the sport was, but at an early age, I got hooked on, you know, just finding people, you know, you could just go to the library in those days. This was even before like a Barnes and Noble existed. And in most cases, the books were in the library and I could get them for free and read them. And, um, but I find it started finding myself like in sports originally having some competitive edges. Cause I just studied what these, you know, these really good guys and gals did. And then somebody gave me the book, uh, you probably remember this one, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. 
And that yep, led to yep. uh, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And, you know, this is when I'm 20 read, and actually reading the books, not just getting the books and putting them somewhere and not looking at them. But I read the books and I did the stuff it said. And, you know, then it was, you know, I don't want to say it was game over. You still had to do the work. I just, I just was able to come into a, a workplace with a different mindset, some skills and tools that I had read that somebody else had done that made sense. I mean, I still think for the listeners of this, if you haven't read, and this book was written, I don't know, 80 years ago called how to win friends and influence people. But it's just things that I didn't learn from my dad or from my teachers on rapport and handshakes and eye contact and pleasing thing. I mean, some of the silly little basic things, but made a huge difference, you know, finding somebody that's right. achieved some great things that have taken time to write it down and, and actually reading their stuff. It has been, somebody says, what's the one competitive advantage you had? Um, and I've been a top performer 28 years, everywhere I've gone. And now as a consultant, it's, you know, my job is to come in and turn the struggling organization around or, you know, a company's doing well, but now they've got low cost competitors that are stealing their business. My job is to come in and problem solve all of that, put the right processes in place and assure that they have, you know, I always say it's a, when I come in, it's the, the number one declaration is a record breaking year. We start with that. So what has to happen 12 months from now for us to look back and say, that was an amazing year. Um, so I'm, I'm in yeah. the trenches with multiple companies at one time, but I got to be the guy that has the answers. And where do those answers come from? Because I've read the books and I've been in the field and I've gotten my butt kicked many times, but I didn't fail to lose the lesson from getting my butt kicked. Yeah. I mean, so there you go. Is, is is everything, isn't it? <laughs> being able to, uh, being able to be, I mean, what, what the field gives you and what the books give you is something that radically changes your perspective in a, in the quickest way possible. Like the books give you experience in the field that you can't get anymore. Like you can't have some of the experiences that Ziegler had or, or that you had any better or faster than reading your book about that. And then, just blowing your repertoire up like crazy and <laughs> blowing up your, your, uh, your, your ability to perform in a way or just envision and grow, um, you know, what, what is possible. One of the things that you said a while back that stuck with me, I wanted to bring it up again was if you can't get to, if, if in the sales process, you're not um, saying, well, based on your uh, feedback or based on your answers, you're, you're already mm -hmm. out of the game. Right? Like, if you're not saying that, and if the magic question that you asked the guy at the computer store at Best Buy was, well, what do you think? If that question isn't happening, and then you can't reply with, well, based on what you've said, because you really didn't allow them, because you were using, you know, the here's the components, here are all the features of this thing, instead of building a repertoire, that's really been true in my experience. I've done so much better when. And it doesn't even feel at that point in time like sales. It doesn't even feel like I did anything. I was just talking to, like, a friend or, you know, some nice person, and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, wow, I'm selling something. And they're getting ready to buy. And it sneaks up on me. My favorite type of sales are the ones that kind of sneak up on me. I don't even know I'm doing it. It's some weird – I don't know if you have a name for that, but 
uh, for me, it's sort of like Valhalla when it comes to sales because, you know, then you know you're really in your element and you've really done a good job without being aware all the time of everything that you're doing, which kind well, of here's then the, gives you that car salesman thing. <laughs> it, everything in – write this your audience. Everything is starts with intent. You know, what is your intent if you're on the selling side? And if you have an intent of selling a product to make a commission – you're, the person you're talking to will sense that right away. And it may not even be the words you yeah. say. It's just the energy, that, that the aura that that seller puts off. But if that seller's intent is to help you get what you want or solve the problem you have, and the only way a good seller can do that is by asking the questions. But if your intent is pure, which says, I want to make a positive influence on the business or the person, then that if you start there and then reverse engineer, then you'll be, if there's one thing you do is just have the intent to say, I want to help this person do something. And you've got to be strong enough to say, you know what, what we have probably is not going to get you what you want, but I do know of another group that does have that. And you'd say, well, Gene, that's counterintuitive. You should try to sell everybody. Mm. No, you shouldn't. Because, you will earn more respect and longer-term, um, let's call it attention, if your intent is pure to get them the outcome. And a good seller is one that can say, you know what, it's we're probably not the best as it relates to that, that, that which you want. Like somebody comes to me and they need help with something like salesforce.com. And that's a customer relation. Everybody's heard of salesforce.com. I probably don't need to say that, mm-hmm. but, but they need help with that. And I'm like, look, that's not my expertise. My expertise, I can design the processes. I can design your stage gates. But in terms of the minutia of, you know, importing or exporting data, all the things that need to happen for this to work for you, um, I'm not the best person. But then what I realized as my business grew was that literally every company that I worked with had salesforce.com were not effectively using salesforce.com to you know so they could measure the the methodologies i was teaching and see that it was producing a a quantitative and positive return on investment so i found some people that i would just say hey talk to this person they're very good i endorse them then i thought wait a minute if everybody's having this problem why wouldn't i just hire somebody that's a salesforce.com expert and add that as part of my packages so that's what yep. I did. And it wasn't it wasn't purely to make money, but it says I wanted to have one person that I trusted, I trusted enough to bring into my relationships that I didn't have to be on every call. I knew they were going to be loyal to, you know, the the core, which is, you know, sales strategy orchestration. And, you know, then we just that took off and now we've got our own salesforce.com division. It was the same thing with graphic design. I'm not a graphic designer. I don't know how to use AutoCAD and Adobe and all this stuff, but a lot of my clients needed it to create case studies and white papers and collateral and social media. So I thought, well, shoot, if everybody's needing this, let me go find somebody that's really, really good and hire them. Now we got a graphic design division. And but it, 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 but I, I didn't try to BS my way to make more money from somebody because at the end of the day, if you're playing the long-term game, long-tail game of selling is that one is once you sell something, 
this is kind of some old school stuff. You know, the sale just begins when you make the sale. You know, Brian Tracy used to say that. Yeah. I didn't really get that in those days. But the truth is the long tail game says whatever it is you sell, it doesn't matter what. Um, everybody's got – there's some time frames of which they would achieve, let's call it uh, peak experience. Like maybe you've sold a new furnace and you've installed the furnace or your company's installed the furnace. And about three days later, after the person learns how to use it and they get a couple days with it, you know, those are when you should be making follow-up calls to make sure everything's perfect. And then three months later, make a you – know, these are five-minute phone calls. Hey, just checking in. I know you got your new furnace three months ago. Um, just touch and base. Want to make sure everything's great. Oh, my God, we love it. It's so good. And our energy bills have gone down. That's great. And then a good seller – I talked about referrals – because of their maniacal viewpoint of making sure the client – meets or exceeds what they they wanted, the good seller calls them to check on that. And when they find that they are, which is 90% plus of the time these days, that's when you say, by the way, if you know of anybody else that has any questions about furnaces or you know, insert your product or service there, um, please feel free to have them give me a call. So a good seller is constantly reminding the client of the, the you know, the experience that they're receiving because we take that for granted. But that's, yeah. you know, every time we sign a contract in my company, you know, we have what are called service level agreements. So when you're dealing with corporate America or government or whatever, um, or companies that serve the government that are very contractually, you know, when you get into big deals, you're, you're going to have a contract and it's going to say, we are going to do these things within this time frame. you know, so many trainings, so many webinars, mm-hmm so many case studies, we're going to do this with salesforce.com, but we lay it out in detail. So there's no unclear expectations of what they want from us and what we're going to do. And then as soon as we sign that contract, I get my team on the phone. I say, okay, where can we deliver at least 10% more than we said we would? So let's say we promised a company we would build 10 case studies in six months. Great. I would say, how do we do 12 and four? So and this is yeah. this is this the secret sauce. I mean, I don't know if you had a chance to review my client list. I don't know if it's on the bio I sent you, but I work with you know the Panasonics, the T-Mobiles, the Johnson Control. I work with some of the biggest companies in the world, and I guarantee you, some of these highfalutin, expensive consulting firms are going. How is this guy stealing our business? And our secret sauce is is we we always do more than what we say we will, and we remind the cu- the client of that. And if something goes sideways, we are all over it. And things go sideways in business. Something doesn't happen exactly the way we thought it would because of market conditions or personnel changes or whatever. But we make sure that our clients are, you know, exceptional raving fans. And some of our clients, like Tyco Security, we've been with them for over six years, and they just keep another division. You know, this is a global company that's got, I don't know, 40-some-odd divisions scattered throughout the world. We just keep going from division to division to division because all those division heads have meetings once a year or once or twice a year, once every six months, and they talk. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our secret sauce to selling. Over, Do more than what you say. We, we've been so ingrained for years of a seller over-promising and under-delivering on the promise. We wanted to turn that on its ear. That's really what a lot of the, my book is about, well, too. It's just how do you do more and create a better experience for people if you really boil it down? Yeah. 
and it gives you such an edge. It's such an easy thing to do, follow-up calls. And people are so impressed with that, it's kind of sad because you know that they're not being treated that way very often, and you can hear the surprise in their voices sometimes when, like, what are you doing following up with me? Well, what are you doing giving me more than (laughs) what we had agreed on? And they don't say it in those terms, but their reactions are very much in line with their surprise. And and I can just feel a bond being made at that moment that is very, very strong and somebody being relieved that there are people out there in the world still who will take the time to go over and above and, you know, do the stuff that's in your book and all the books that have been written about on this topic. The fact that we even have to say that it's not more in, ingrained in our education, um, no matter what kind of a track we took with education, uh, that you just do these things in 2018, going on 2019 now, <laughs> that we still have to remind people of this. And, and there are a lot of people who don't have this education to this day. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Well, it, it, here's what it is. Now, this has not necessarily changed, but um, most sellers, once the sale is made, they're on to the next sale. And I call that, mm-hmm. well, well that's, that's fine. Um, but if you want to stand out, you're, you're not you're, you're thinking about getting the sale and starting the relationship. But if you want, if you're playing the long tail game, then that's why you're going to make those follow up calls. And then some people say, well, you know, what if I follow up and something's wrong? I say, great. How many companies follow up with you and something's wrong, and next thing you know, they got a technician there within 24 hours fixing the problem? Nobody does that. So even if something's right. wrong, you know, in today's world bad news travels 10 times faster than good news. And I'll prove it. You know, last time you bought a, anything off Amazon, typically as you decide the product you want to look further at, you go right to where? The reviews. And you see the five mm-hmm. stars, the four stars, the threes, the twos, and the ones. Everybody truly migrates to the one star. Yeah, I want to know what that guy said. I, <laughs> I want to know what's what what went wrong? And what in my pattern what is I'll look at the one and two stars and say, hmm, that's interesting. Do those negative reviews have merit? And then I'll look at the five stars, and then I'll make my decision from there. But bad news is we are attracted to that, and we're socially conditioned by that because if you watch the news, it's, you know, 80% bad news. Take the weather out of it. Um, but, you know, good weather isn't really news. Too hot, too cold, tornado, rain, floods. That's news. That's what attracts people. So we're conditioned, and we don't even know it. But um, back to my original point, which is, you know, once the once the sale is made, that seller following up and just saying, just want to check in and make sure everything's great. And if that person goes, you know what, it's great. I appreciate the call. We're really enjoying it. And and maybe you have some notes where you say, well, how does you know your son Brady? How's he doing with soccer? You know, last, when we talked a few months ago, he was going to the soccer tournament. How'd that go? Little tiny things like that. And people like just, just, they just like, wow, I really like that person. That becomes the peak moment for you to say, and by the way, if you know of anybody that has any questions as it relates to your product and service, feel free to have them give me a call. I'll make sure they're taken care of for you. You know, and that in, that is the methodology that I use. Anybody else that, you know, it's like I'll give you an example. When I deal with corporate clients, big ones, <clears throat> usually it's the the head of the division, or in some cases it's, it's the CEO that's the person that 
that ultimately approves the work that we're going to do. Somebody has to, you know, say yes and mm-hmm. sign the paperwork. Um, but they're rarely involved in the day-to-day of what we do. So then they've got, you know, if it's a CEO, for example, a company here in Southern California, he was the one that made the final decision and then he's off doing other things. So there's VPs, directors, sales managers, and sales reps. Same thing for marketing. And one of the points I make is at the you know three to four month mark that we're going to have a half hour um, regroup you know status meeting. And when I go into those status meetings, I say, okay, remember back five months ago when we first started interviewing your team and there were all these things wrong. Well, here's where we are today. This has been fixed. This has been fixed. This has been fixed. But above and beyond that, we did these other things. So you remind them of the things you've done. Because people, most, in most cases today, have short-term memories. They, they don't remember right. what, you know, the fact that you, you know, overnighted something because they were in a pinch and you, you pulled them out of that bind. They forget that stuff. Um, but you remind them of everything you've done great, what you've done above and beyond. You show them any type of quantified, you know, increases. Like in my case, it would be, you know, sales have increased this uh, year over year. You're here. Your conversion rates went up. Your attach rates went here. Or, you know, we're moving more of these other – you're moving more of these products that are higher margin than other ones. And I always say, you know, I'm not taking credit for this, but, you know, my job is just to show you where it was versus where it is. You know, and they'll do the deductive reasoning. Here's another thing I find. The less credit you try to take, the more they give you. <laughs> Say, you know, your team yeah. did all this. You know, and I just did this with the CEO. He goes, well, they were a bunch of schmucks a year ago, so something changed. I'm like, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's, yeah I, just, by the way, I, I know a guy that's just going through that right now, and he's uh, and he really deserves the credit that people are heaping on him, but he just won't. He just keeps giving it back to them. He's like, no, it's you. No, it's you. And it's just almost comical what you just said, how true that is, because it is getting to the point of people want him to just say, yes, all right, I deserve this, <laughs> because it's it's gotten to be a game, and everybody's just lauding, and he's done a great thing, and we're all really proud of him and happy that he did the work, and and he just is always giving the praise back to the people. It's the people. It's you guys. Everybody here. We're a team, and and, uh, man, did I just see that in the last week, what you just said in, in clear crystal color. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. And, it, and it's, not, um, it's not magical or mysterious. And I go back to the, the point of intent, that if your intent is to help somebody's life, business, wh- whatever it is they're trying to do, if you are purely of intention to help them get that, and then you package it with a, a roadmap, you know, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to come in with a great attitude. I'm going to build some rapport, do the research, whatever I can get online so I can learn something about that person or those people. I know that the beginning of a great relationship is the fact that I ask very smart questions and they're in a, you know, they're, they're in a, uh, an order. You can't just ask a bucket list of questions. You have to ask them in order right. that's um, psychologically appealing. And then at that point, you start talking about what you have that may help them get what they want and why, and you package it with a story, and you're not pushy, you're not saying, sounds good, doesn't it, like some of these old things we were taught. <laughs> I kind of laugh at you know, I tried all that stuff, by the way, and it didn't feel right or authentic yeah. even back in the 90s. Um, it, 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 it just The person just is 
when they don't feel pressured, their desire to want to buy from you increases. When they feel like you're taking the role of a teacher versus a seller, their desire to learn from you and want to buy from you increases that much more. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of our listeners will will recall some time where that you were on either end or both ends of that kind of a situation multiple times, and it's a really gratifying experience. And I think, you know, you mentioned listening to podcasts earlier and feeding your brain while you're driving and, and it's how it's not that big of a deal. You just have to make the effort and and seek out really good stuff. And and uh, and a lot of what you're talking about today is, is kind of the same thing. It's just, you know, we live in this sort of hustle and grind situation where a lot of people are out there training people to just sacrifice, you know, and that's the big thing. And it's almost like a religion. I don't know if you've been exposed to much of that on social media from certain thought leaders, but it's a really big thing. And people are proud of not getting sleep and proud of, and what I picture when I hear that are the people that you talked about who are salesmen that go from one sale to the next, they don't ever follow up. They're just, and then they say hustle. I got my hustle on, I'm grinding. But the things you're talking about now, and I suspect are in your book, to me, don't feel like hustle and grind. They just feel natural. They just feel like back to basics, sort of. And and for people like me who really have never considered ourselves salesmen and uh, just happen to be lucky enough to have lucked into some, <laughs> uh, I don't know, genes or whatever that make it make it easier for us, while we're not feeling like icky salespeople. Um, you know, it's it's. I feel like you're you're talking about something that's easy to do. I don't hear anything in what you're talking about that's hard. Well, it's you know, Jim Rohn always said this. Some of the things in life are easy to do, and they're just as easy not to do. And I'll address the hustle and the grind. You know, I I'm a you know, I gotta get my six seven hours of sleep. Rarely do I go more than seven, but um, and that might be. 10 at night to five in the morning and it might be one in the morning till eight in the morning or seven in the morning, but I, you got to have good sleep. But you know, the thing mm-hmm. to be most concerned about is what are you doing while you're awake? Right. Cause it, you know, it's it just, I'm not a, I don't need to be a scientist to know that if you go too many days without adequate sleep, this everything starts to deteriorate physically and mentally. But um, you know, I, I'm probably very much like the people listening right now. I'm a dad. Um, I've got kids. I like to coach my, I have an eight year old. I coach three different sports that to me is just, I'm not, I just am not going to miss that. That's me. And I just say to people, you know, you, you do what's best for you, but just be conscious of, you know, what life looks like 10 years. Like I look at my life 10 years from now when my eight year old is 18 and now he doesn't live with me and he's in college, hopefully, and he's off building his own life, I've got a short window to be a attentive dad. And this took me a while to get. I'm not saying that it was – I'm perfect, but um, – and my my girl and my relationship and my my family, my sisters, the people back in Iowa, it's – you know, I'm at 50 years old, I am in constant strive to say, how do I make sure I'm I'm doing the very best I can and being attentive to what's most important, which is, you know, health, friends, or health, relationships, friends, uh, coaching, being present for my son. I've also got a six-year-old daughter. And um, so that, that grind, uh, I, you know, if I was 24. It's impossible for us. Kids, yeah. 
yeah. I was 24 and I didn't have kids and I lived with a couple of my buddies and, you know, you know, those, you know, story then. So it depends on your stage of life. It depends on what's most important, but, you know, I think we both know a lot of people that have tons of money that are completely depressed. And I've got friends that, you know, make enough to pay their bills and they're happy as can be. You know, yeah. I want to kind of find that yeah. middle ground, happy as can be and, you know, creating the financial, whatever, and financial goals are, you know, really irrelevant. They matter to the person. But, you know, what really woke me up was reading a, something by Tom Petty, the rock and roll singer. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, if, if you can do what you love and pay the bills, then you're successful. And that, that made a big shift for me because, you know, I had I some years. You know, especially in my 30s where it was, you know, I wanted a house and the car and then the watch and all this stuff. And, you know, looking back, it, you know, you can't, you know, you know, denounce your own decisions. But in that moment of my life, that's what was important. And I was doing the grind, but it was at the sacrifice of uh, my relationship. And not, not right. like purpose, but, you know, in, in my line of work, you know, I could travel six days a week and be on the road and speaking somewhere. But then I was like, you know, I got a lot of money in the bank, but why is it that the weekends I'm wiped out and my relationship is deteriorating and I'm not spending quality time with my woman and um, not being as attentive as a dad as I should be. You know, I have an 18 year old as well. Um, And I realized that's not what, for me, that's not what I wanted. So I just, I just got to, you know, hindsight, my self-awareness probably got a little off track because it was, it was focused on that grind. Now I'm at a phase where it's like, okay, you know, I just use that Tom Petty rule. You know, I don't, my company, (laughs) we told our company, we'd say to our employees, we're we're not looking to be a, you know, $50 million firm with 80 employees and all that. We're looking to create a lifestyle business that allows us to, you know, if it's an afternoon and, you know, like there's a, I, I live in Southern California, so we live right by the, near the Angel Stadium, like a half hour away. And there's an afternoon game and I want to take my boy and eat a hot dog at two in the afternoon and watch a game. You know what? Damn it. I'm going to do it. Hell and yeah. <laughs> that is, I've, I've had more peace in making that decision, honestly, than just about anything where it's like, you know what? These guys come first. Yes, there's going to be some sacrifices where I do still travel. Um, I just travel to the right things now, not everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. Look, we're going to need to have some more conversations, Gene. This is, I've had a really, really great time today. Uh, you're very, very well spoken. I've learned a lot more uh, than I you should be expected to in an hour from you. So please consider you. before your book blows up and you get really you know, too famous to be on a little podcast like this coming back because I really feel like we have a lot more to talk about. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm going to tear into your book for everybody listening. The book link will be uh, wherever you're listening to this. So follow that link to get into Gene's book and, and, uh, and we'll have some more links to, so you can get in his sphere of influence and follow him around, uh, which I highly recommend. Gene, thank you so much for being on Leverage Masters. Thank you. And I'll add one more quick thing is on Monday, the 16th of July, the book is going to be downloadable for 99 cents. So I'm learning this because it's my first book that to drive it to number one, it's about sales. So it's not a, 
not an endeavor that first day to make money per se, but it's to get the sales so I can put that number one sticker on it. So if you're appealed by this, that's going to be the best day to buy it because it's a buck. And then, you know, after that, it goes to, you know, eight ninety nine on Kindle, fourteen ninety nine for the soft cover and 22 for the uh, hard cover. But that first day, it's 99 cents. So everybody can do that. That's easy. Right, right. That's and worth awesome. every penny no matter what you pay. Yeah. Well, this thank you so much it. for being here, Gene. Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm so humbled and just uh, thank you to just getting me on. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't like do this kind of stuff for a living. So, you know, I just really wanted to speak what's, what's important and, you know, some things that are working. The book outlines a lot of the mistakes I made. So the goal is, is that people don't make those mistakes, but. <laughs> well, if there's anything else that we can do to help you with getting the book out to the world, please just have Andrea get you into our contact info so that we can uh, get back together again. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful, uh, and I mean that from my heart. Thank you so much. And we'll be back same time, same place next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.